Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, it's electric. Later this week, Reineke Ford Lincoln will host an event where you can get answers to everything you've ever wondered about owning an EV. We'll have details. Also this morning, Congressman Bob Latta discusses his priorities as the new chair of the Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Communications and Technology in the 118th Congress, particularly with respect to the growing threat from China. And young people today often get a bad rap, but many of them are doing amazing things in and for their communities. And the Shine Foundation Awards aim to give them the recognition they deserve. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. The Super Bowl is sold out. Not tickets. You can get tickets if you have deep pockets. Uh, but uh, Fox has officially sold out of its commercial inventory for the big game at more than $7 million for a 30-second commercial. And that's just the cost. That's not even counting the cost of making the commercial. That's just airing it. $7 million per Back in September, the network said it had takers for around 95% of Super Bowl spots, and Vice President of Ad Sales Mark Evans said the sellout came at the end of last month. It took a little bit longer than usual to get all the space filled because many major companies have been going through shakeups in recent months, but uh, they are sold out. Super Bowl inventory. The biggest advertiser uh, is Anheuser-Busch. However... They gave up their deal to be the exclusive alcohol advertiser during the game. So that uh, has helped usher in a banner year for booze advertising on the big game. Um, While last year's Super Bowl saw crypto ads dominate the airwaves, the FTX collapse and resulting upheaval of the crypto market has left that particular industry with zero representation. So no crypto ads. And that reminds me of back in the early 2000s. Remember when the Super Bowl was filled with dot-com ads? All of the dot-com companies right before that bubble burst, and then all of a sudden all of those dot-coms disappeared. So kind of the same thing with crypto last year to this year. Um, Companies such as Heineken, M&M's and Doritos have scored uh, the biggest deals. Most ads for the Super Bowl uh, sold between 6 and $7 million. Uh, the uh, top price, uh, price, $7 million, but uh, they get quantity discounts for companies that buy multiple ads. Uh, each one is a little, a little less. You just buy 30 seconds, and it costs you the, the high end of that, but... In any event, uh, that is the story, because the Super Bowl is always as much about the commercials as it is for, uh, as it is about the game. However, that being said, if you do want a ticket to the game, if the commercials mean nothing to you, and you want to actually go to the game as like sort of a bucket list, do it before you die kind of thing, this year's Super Bowl may not be the one, you may want to wait because the ticket prices, from what we understand, uh, are at a historic pace. The most expensive Super Bowl was um, the 
Patriots and the Seahawks in 2015, the average ticket price was $8,700. That was the most expensive Super Bowl. Uh, The 2020 Super Bowl between the Chiefs and 49ers in Miami had an average ticket price of $6,600. And according to data from the online ticket marketplace Ticket IQ, the average price uh, is $6,000 for a Super Bowl. What is this? 57? Yeah. Super Bowl 57, the average ticket price is $6,000 going into yesterday morning. So it's third on the list and still plenty of um, plenty of opportunity for that to go up. The get-in cost is up from $5,600 one week ago, and now it's roughly $6,000 just to get in. Those are the cheapest seats. So uh, in any event, um, that's... If you wanted to get tickets, that's what it would set you back. Um, Speaking of tickets, this is a a big story this morning. You might have heard about this. AMC Theaters, and of course AMC operates our local uh, cinema here uh, in Findlay. AMC Theaters is introducing a new ticket pricing initiative based on seat location in their theaters. It's called Sightline at AMC where moviegoers can pay more or less depending on where they choose to sit in the theater. The best seats will be the most expensive, and the worst seats in the auditorium will be the least expensive. Um, The uh, seats in the middle of the auditorium are the preferred sightline seats. The ones right in the front row are the value sightline seats. So this uh, new seating plan launches on Friday at select AMC locations in New York, Chicago, and Kansas City. And the plan is to roll this out to all domestic locations by the end of the year. Here's my question. I get the idea behind it. Um, You know, better seats are more expensive. And they say it's in line with other uh, ticketing events that people go to. And I'm thinking, yeah, but there's a difference between sitting in a movie theater and going to a sports stadium, (laughs) you know, where there are 60,000 seats and, you know, the worst seats are ones where you can barely see anything um, versus being right there in row one on the 50 yard line. There's a big difference between that and being in the top top row in the top bowl of a uh, of a football stadium, right? Um, but but they're basically there isn't that much difference between sitting in the middle of the theater and sitting in the back row of the theater, but at a at a movie house. But that's their impetus uh, for this, and uh, the question that I have is how are they going to police that how how are they going to know unless they have someone escort you to your seat and then post a security person at the at the door to make sure that no one switches seats during the movie how do they know where you where you sit that's the the thing how in the world are they going to track this 
without having to hire a bunch of people to monitor it while people are watching the movie. And if they hire a bunch of people to monitor it, how are they going to make any money? You know what I mean? Isn't that going to eat up any additional profit from selling higher price seats? To I, I'm just not sure that they've necessarily uh, thought this whole thing through. But I guess we'll find out. Anyway, that's one of the things that uh, people are buzzing about. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the uh, day. Speaking of paying more or less for certain seats in certain places, if you have ever paid a, a seat fee for an airline in order to avoid sitting at the back of the plane, isn't that like the worst place to sit on a plane? Is it the back of the plane? Nobody wants to sit at the back of the plane. It takes forever to get off the plane when you land and, uh, and all of that. Nobody wants to sit at the back of the plane. Well, this might change your mind. A new investigation from Time Magazine examined 35 years of aircraft data, and they find that the seats, the seats in the back of the plane are statistically the safest. Um, well, maybe second safest, sitting in an exit row. Uh, provides the quickest exit in case of an emergency, obviously. But the safest seats are in the back, absent, with the exception of the emergency exit. Now, if you have an emergency exit uh, at the back of the plane, then that is absolutely the best place to be. Uh, So, there you go. If you uh, want to say, of course, you know, there aren't... uh, a whole lot of airline accidents these days. It used to be that you'd you'd hear about one every month, it seemed like. But the airline industry has uh, gone uh, gone years without major, major crashes, at least multiple major crashes. But they uh, went through the data and they found that they want to be safe. So the back of the plane. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, have you heard about the uh, latest uh, viral challenge here? Uh, this is <laughs> this is the latest, and uh, see what you think about this. Apparently, there is the this new trend, which was born online. It is the shower orange. I don't I don't know if this is a challenge so much as it is a trend precipitated by someone online. Uh, it is the shower orange trend, which say, which says it has people eating oranges in the shower. I don't know why oranges, but eating oranges in the shower. Have you, have you heard about this? The claim is it lets you enjoy the fruit without the fear of making a mess, and that, it's, and that the, the humidity in the bathroom, in the shower exaggerates the aroma of the orange. It's not about the orange. It's not about the shower. It's about the connection between the two, according to one user on Reddit. And it's sort of animalistic. You tear into your into the orange with your claws. You feast on it. You don't worry about making sure that you eat all the orange or what to do with the peel after, afterwards. You don't have to worry about making a mess. Now, is it safe? Well, according to uh, one dietitian, 
She says, I would say as long as you are clean and your shower is clean and you're not ingesting any soap or any chemicals or anything like that, it is probably just as safe, if not safer, to eat in the shower. So I'm just wondering, are we so pressed for time in our society today that we have to eat breakfast in the shower? I hope that's not what it's all about. But anyway, there you go. Uh, Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to start off your Tuesday morning here. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly cloudy and windy today, a high of 52, partly to mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 30. Finley City Schools will be receiving more than a million dollars in state funding through Ohio's K-12 School Safety Grant Program. The school district will likely use the money for the Safe Defend Active Shooter Protection System that was recently installed in district buildings. So at one time when a teacher would have to make a decision on what they do with their class or their students, they were running without any information to make an informed decision. Safe Defend will provide an instant text to say where the threat is, what exit to avoid, and then you can make a decision based on your location, whether you run, you hide your fight. That was Interim Superintendent Krista Kreitz-Miller. Get more on this grant and the district's new active shooter protection system on our website. A cafeteria worker in the Chardon School District near Cleveland is being hailed a hero after saving a child who was choking. Park Elementary Cafeteria Monitor Christy Holbert jumped into action when she saw a student suddenly appear to be in distress while eating lunch. Well, she administered the Heimlich maneuver with total success. She will be formally recognized at the Chardon Board of Education on Tuesday, February 21st. ONN's Lena Lai reporting. The Finley Police Department has announced the hiring of a new police officer. Samuel Weirau was sworn in by the mayor on Monday morning. The 26-year-old served in the United States Army and currently serves in the Army Reserves. He'll be attending the Ohio State Highway Patrol Academy to attain his peace officer certificate. And upon completion of the academy, he'll be assigned to the Finley Police Department's patrol division. You can see a picture of the new officer flanked by Mayor Christina Mern and Police Chief Robert Ring on our website. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources in March will be celebrating 150 years of conservation. Throughout Ohio's 150-year history of wildlife conservation, the Division of Wildlife has been at the forefront of many of the state's challenges and success stories. During the program, district managers will speak about several of those stories and other topics, including ecology, wetland conservation, and aquatic invasive species. Eric Brown, ONN News. Remember, you can get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So our cover story this morning is electric, quite literally. Uh, Later this week, Reinecke Ford Lincoln will be hosting an event where you can get answers to everything you've ever wondered about owning an EV, an electric vehicle. Uh, Alex Reinecke is with us. In the studio this morning, it is an EV event uh, that you've got coming in. This is, uh, what, day after tomorrow, right? Uh, Thursday morning, yes. Thursday morning. So talk a little bit about what uh, you'll be talking about at this event. Yeah, absolutely. So we're uh, welcoming everybody out uh, to just come out and check out electric vehicles. So um, we'll have... Uh, several of the new Ford offerings for EV vehicles on hand, the new uh, F-150 Lightning, which is the all-electric F-150, uh, the Mustang Mach-E, the all-electric SUV, uh, you know, that's a, a brand new vehicle for Ford, and then the E-Transit, which is the cargo van electric mm-hmm. version. Uh, and we really want to just offer people the opportunity to come out, check these vehicles out, uh, maybe take a test drive, really uh, understand what an electric vehicle is all about. Uh, it's a lot 
different to drive them from the sensation of the the power and mm-hmm. kind of what all goes into the the driving characteristics. Right. Uh, and I know a lot of people have questions on the the charging or the battery capacity or, you know, what does that look like in the different vehicles? Uh, and just come out and, and check those out, ask those questions. I know years ago, the uh, electric vehicles first started hitting the market. Range anxiety mm-hmm. was the uh, big thing. It seems like that is, has somewhat been addressed for the most part right? and, and no doubt it's still different than a gas-powered vehicle right sure. you can't just pull into the gas station and fill up mm-hmm. but uh, between home charging options uh, there's a lot of different uh, home charging uh, units available that uh, electricians can install and, and actually we're going to have some uh, folks uh, from Frankert Electric and also um, uh, the electrical co-op to answer some of those questions on, on what home charging or the different charging and the cost like. and the cost absolutely right. you know what's it cost to, to install one of these units and uh, so there's more uh, options available from that perspective now. And mm-hmm. then uh, the public network is growing um, in Northwest Ohio. It's still uh, in its infancy stages, but uh, there's more coming. And uh, with the uh, proliferation of electric vehicles over the next few years, I anticipate that'll continue. And the fact that the first uh, all electric vehicles would get a range of something like 75 miles. Correct. And that obviously has increased exponentially. It, so. it has. It has. And in, in, into the hundreds of miles mm-hmm. uh, on a full charge now, yeah. depending on the vehicle and the application right. uh, and, and which battery size. So that's definitely grown. Uh, again, in the earliest days, you saw certain areas of the country that embraced electric vehicles much quicker than others. What has been the response uh, in Northwest Ohio? What have you seen? I think at this point, it's still a lot of curiosity, right? There's certainly early adopters that were, hey, I, I want an electric vehicle. I'm all in on this idea. And, right. and they, they came out and bought them. Uh, but in my experience, a lot of people are just curious about it, right? What does that really mean for me and how I drive every day? You know, if I plug it in at home, will it charge up overnight so I can, you know, have a full charge the next day? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think right now it's a lot of curiosity out there. And that's why we want to invite folks out to, to really understand more about it. Because it's certainly a different application when you're talking about a big urban area where people may not drive all the time and when they do it's much shorter distances than in a more rural uh setting such as we have here certainly and and there's definitely also some business applications to it right and and that's why ford um electrified the transit van uh, certain businesses that maybe have a, a set route each day or maybe a more localized route, maybe delivery or or local services, maybe just here in Finley or or just in one town, uh, that could be a good application knowing that they can charge it every night. And uh, the other question is availability. There are an awful lot of models that are on the market but not necessarily available at every dealership what is the availability certainly so uh, right now ford has those three models and and we are taking orders for them the the availability really uh, actually kind of like everything right now really depends on what you order mm-hmm. um you know certain battery sizes or trim levels might be harder to get than others uh, but uh, ford and, and other manufacturers whether that's uh, jeep or or nissan or, or others are are certainly increasing their capacity to build more of these vehicles uh, over the next few years. It's been interesting 
to see the rollout of the application of this technology and the and the way it has evolved in a relatively short amount of time uh, from, again, those early days where you could get maybe 75 miles to uh, all of the applications. You've got uh, longer range, all electric vehicles. You've got uh, plug-in hybrid vehicles. You've got the more traditional hybrid vehicles. I'm curious from a dealer's standpoint, from someone who sells them and your livelihood depends on selling vehicles that the public wants to buy, what's your reaction when you hear manufacturers talk about going all electric in the next 20 or 30 years? Does that make you nervous or you know, excited or you know, what is your reaction to all of this? I, I think – there's there's still a lot to happen in that 20 or 30 years right so mm-hmm. uh in, in some respects when people talk about going all electric to me it's a bit of uh, let's see what happens right um but at least ford and and honda and and others have have stated um maybe not as clearly in the press but to us as dealers that um there's a long way to go to get there and they're not abandoning uh gas powered vehicles either mm-hmm. uh you know Ford's investing in in an all new F150 and new Super Duties and and right. obviously the Bronco and all those products that are still gas powered and and are going to be for some time uh and and I believe as you mentioned whether it's hybrids or plug-in hybrids that helps us with that evolution as well, where it's still a gas-powered vehicle in some senses, but a battery on others. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a long transition period before we're in a, a fully electric environment. And in the meantime, uh, do you still see a, a future for all of those different varieties of powertrains? I, I do. I do, because I, I think... Um, there's a lot of different use cases, right? There's, yeah. you mentioned it earlier, people that are on the road every day and, mm-hmm. and maybe a battery powered, fully electric vehicle isn't, isn't the best use case for them, but maybe a hybrid is, uh, or maybe, uh, you know, people that use super duty trucks need a big diesel engine to tow their RV or boat or a commercial equipment. Uh, electric might not be the best application for that, uh, as we move forward. So I think different use cases and different customer needs will dictate a lot of that. Would it be fair to say that this is probably the most uh, interesting and in some respects the most exciting uh, part of the automobile industry since the advent of the automobile industry. I mean, when you really think about it. There's certainly a lot of change going on and and a lot of of different things that we're all figuring out with the manufacturers. And Mm -hmm. and that's why we want to invite customers out is to help them figure out what makes sense for them also. It also should be pointed out that there are uh, tax incentives that are available and those tax incentives have uh, been expanded uh, here recently to apply to a wider range of vehicles and even used vehicles uh, for the first time. So that's correct. Yeah, they, the the government uh, at the first of the year kind of changed up that whole program. Mm-hmm. And they've actually even just made some other changes here in the last few days. I, I think that's still evolving a little bit as well. But right. uh, the goal, to your point, is to expand the availability by the different uh, different models and and uh, open it up to certain used vehicles as well. So again, we're talking about all of this leading up to the uh, electric vehicle event that you have uh, on Thursday morning. Give us all of the details quickly about that. Yeah, the Thursday morning from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, we'll have uh, coffee. We'll have, uh, again, the, the Ford uh, Lightning, Mach-E, and, and E-Transit on hand that people can take a look at, test drive. 
Uh, we'll have uh, folks from the electrical companies in as well and just offer people the opportunity to come in and, and learn more about EV, EV vehicles and, and what's, uh, what's out there. And this will be a Thursday morning from? Uh, 8 to 10. 8 to 10. At uh, Reinecke Ford Lincoln and Finley on uh, 12,000 County Road 99. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information about it as well. And again, uh, Alex Reinecke, Reinecke Ford Lincoln, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. So in the 118th Congress, Congressman Bob Ladd has been named chair of the Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Communications and Technology. And last week, he held that subcommittee's first hearing on the state of the satellite industry. And uh, Congressman, thanks very much for uh, joining us. Uh, first of all, we appreciate congratulations on the uh, chairmanship uh, uh, with respect to that. Um, many people would view the satellite industry, satellite communications, as kind of the technology of the 20th century, not the 21st. Why start your work there? Well, thanks very much for having me on, Chris. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, it was very interesting hearing that we had because, again, we want to make sure that we have the right technology in the right spots around the country. One of the things that I want to make sure is is that the federal government doesn't pick the winners and losers in communications and especially in broadband usage uh, across the country because in some cases, you know, uh, wired is better than wireless or vice versa. But in other cases, you're going to have to have uh, satellite. And so the hearing that we had was on what they call uh, stationary and geostationary, non-geostationary uh, satellites, those that are going around the, the Earth mm-hmm. or some that are stationary. But it's going to, in some cases, for parts of the country, you just can't get uh, communications out to. And so when you think about, uh, there's probably about 7,000 satellites up there right now that there will be more communications ability for people around the United States and also into Canada and to Alaska that right now don't have the ability to have that broadband usage at this time. So is that one of the top priorities uh, that you will have for this uh, subcommittee in this Congress uh, with respect to expanding uh, broadband uh, Internet access? Well, broadband is, is always at the top of my uh, mm-hmm. list because, again, I'm the co-chair of the uh, Rural Broadband Caucus, which I helped found. Right. Because we, we have to absolutely have the broadband because we know that, you know, during COVID, when, you know, schools are shutting down, sure. schools send home laptops with their, with their kids. But the problem with a lot of kids, they had no broadband. And so, uh, you know, there's different ways you can get this broadband out around the country. And then in the... Uh, infrastructure bill that was passed, uh, you know, there was $60 billion in there for broadband. And as one of the big things that we're going to be doing is having oversight of that $60 billion because I want to make sure that it goes to the unserved areas of this country first. Mm-hmm. And uh, because what the administration early on was talking about was saying that, well, if you didn't have a certain speed, even though you had broadband, you're going to be classified as unserved. And if that would happen, and I know I was on a, uh, a Zoom at the time during COVID with the vice president explaining that, look, what will happen is that you'll have a lot of these uh, companies say that the fastest place and more make more money quickly right. is if you do it around the metropolitan area, and it still won't get out to the rural areas. So, uh, and I have a piece of legislation that we have out there pretty soon, it's in draft right now, 
again, on precision agriculture, which will help our farmers. Mm-hmm. Because being able to utilize, because so many tractors and equipment are now being uh, connected, right. and uh, they'll get better uh, yields in their crops and save money and make more money at the same time. It is a valid point, though, that there has to be some standard for uh, what defines the, the speeds that define broadband. And a lot of industry experts will say that the current standard for def- uh, defining what is broadband is uh, much slower than what it should be given the way we use broadband internet these days. Well, and that's again, when you uh, get the broadband out across the country, you know, the, the speeds will also increase. And so and at the same time, what we have to think about is we have to have more spectrum. And that's another issue that I'm highly engaged in is because if we don't have the spectrum, and dealing with the Department of Defense in certain areas that they, uh, the bands that they have, mm-hmm. that uh, if they can, uh, you know, free some of that up, it'll help us get that out there to more areas. And uh, Wi-Fi is always important. So, I, you know, I'm looking forward to really making sure that we, we get the uh, broadband coverage across the country. Because one of the things I, I mentioned the other day when I was in a meeting that, uh, you know, I always hate to ask this question for people, but when was the last time you used the Yellow Pages? And so what everybody normally does, they go to their computer, they, they do a quick search, sure. they find what they want. But if all of a sudden you're a company that uh, has bad broadband where you're located, nobody's ever going to find you. And so it's important that we get this across the country to help our rural communities as well as our suburban and urban communities. I also want to ask you about this uh, as it relates to technology, again, and your work on this particular uh, subcommittee. Uh, especially given the events of the past week, the existential threat posed by China is very much on everyone's mind. And nowhere is that threat more pronounced than in China's advancement in the field of technology in recent years. This past weekend on CBS's Face of the Nation, the former director of the White House National Economic Council and the current vice chairman of IBM, Gary Cohn, had this to say about the importance of passage of the CHIPS Act with respect to technology and protecting national security, particularly against China. And uh, I want to play what he said and get your reaction. If we learn nothing else from the pandemic, we learn that there are certain goods that are necessity goods for this country to have. And we are overly reliant on places like China. And if we don't find ways to change the manufacturing system and the supply chain and move it back to the United States where we can take care of ourselves. We have made a a catastrophic miscalculation. A catastrophic miscalculation are the words he used. It's hard to argue with the analysis. And yet you voted against the CHIPS Act uh, last year, which I don't mean to dredge up uh, things from the past, but that did surprise me at the time because you know as well as anyone and probably better than most just how critical this is. So the bill eventually passed. It is law now. But I'm curious why you voted against it and what concerns you about the law now that it is law with respect to its implementation. Well, the, the, the number one issue was it wasn't paid for. Is seventy billion dollars? <laughs> it's like it's like everything they do around here. They don't pay for it. So against that, they went right to the deficit and to the debt. And uh, you know what we need to do is you know those things that we need to pay for. Let's pay for it. 
but by not paying for it again now, because our, you know, one of the biggest threats if you talk to some of the folks at the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff is going to be our debt is going to be the biggest uh, threat to the America. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you and I have talked that uh, uh, by the year 2030, we're going to pay a trillion dollars a year just to pay the interest right. on the debt. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't pay for things, you know, there's, we, there's, you know, we, and again, you have to go back. What happens to these companies, you know, companies across the entire spectrum out there, they all race to China to put fat manufacturing in there. Mm-hmm. And that was a mistake because, again, when we saw with the COVID, the supply chain broke down. And so will we ever be able to have the entire supply chain in the United States? Probably not. But what we want to make sure is you have it with much more trusted uh, partners and allies out there. And one of the biggest threats out there is communist China with Taiwan, because with the chips that they manufacture there mm-hmm. is, a very, is a massive threat. And so it's, it's pulling back our supply chain, because again, you know, this administration is racing to force all Americans to drive electric vehicles. But the one question they never answer is, where are you going to get the lithium from? Where are you going to get all of the rare earth minerals from? Because well, there's only one lithium facility in the United States, which I was at last fall. It only produces, produces 1% of the world's lithium. And uh, China uh, has been able to get the, to get the lithium because 60, 65% comes from Australia. And what they're in, but unfortunately, it's being processed in communist China. So they're controlling 80 to 85 percent of the world's lithium. So it's all of these things that doesn't that don't make sense right now, especially with the administration on their massive push on EVs. And also, where do you get the power from? They're trying to shut down all of our uh, baseload generation plants. And you know, I've talked with our electric co-ops. And they're telling me that they've been being told they're going to need 30 to 40 percent more energy if the day comes when we're all electric. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to have a, a strategy out there. And there's an interesting uh, article today in today's Wall Street Journal on, uh, again, it's the EVs hinge on, you know, American-made batteries. But, again, you've got to do it here. Yeah. But it comes down to a couple of things. Is Number one. We've got to start paying for what we do in this country. And when they used to always say that your kids and your grandkids are going to pay for it, unless you don't expect to be alive in six and a half years, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to leave it there, uh, but uh, that actually touches on a number of points. Obviously, the uh, President's State of the Union address is tonight, so uh, that I think will uh, also provide us some perspective on what your mindset is going to be uh, as you hear the uh, President speak uh, this evening. Again, Congressman Bob Latta, thanks very much for taking the time, as always. We appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A woman in the Canton area. So this is uh, actually fairly close to home. Uh, Blonde 50-something Ohio woman in the Canton area. Uh, says she is done being a Karen. <laughs> She's actually named Karen. And, of uh, of course, because of the negative connotations associated with the name Karen these days, uh, this woman, to the name of Karen Firestone, says she now intends to legally change her name to Cat. Did it call me Cat? Isn't that a TV show? Call me Cat. Uh, Karen has become synonymous with being selfish and always wanting to talk to the manager, self-centered and, uh, and all of that. 
And uh, she, she now has per, uh, petitioned the court uh, to change, legally change her name. On February 21st, uh, Ms. Karen, or Kat, she prefers to be known, uh, will appear in court to try to persuade a judge to let her uh, change her name. Isn't that a rather Karen thing to do? Do you really think about it? I mean, you could just you just go by Cat, um, you know, change your nickname. I would imagine there are a fair number of, of people named Karen who would go by Cat. She actually wants to change her name. Get the uh, courts to allow her to change it. Seems like a Karen thing to do. Um, as it turns out, though, uh, women aren't the only ones who can be Karens. Uh, sometimes guys are. What's the uh, what's the male equivalent? There's a there's a word for that. There's a name for that, and I don't remember. Anyway, uh, a man in Singapore could probably fall into this category. He apparently is suing a woman for two point three million dollars because she rebuffed his romantic advances. <laughs> K. Kaushigan claims that he sustained trauma from the rejection and argues that it has resulted in reductions in his earning capacity. The uh, magistrate court of Singapore struck down the lawsuit and ordered him to pay her legal costs for defending against it, but he has now appealed to the Supreme Court of the land, um, a women's rights advocacy group in Singapore, slammed the lawsuit and said it embodies the struggle that women face when men feel entitled to a relationship. Women, they say, do not owe men their time or attention, much less their friendship, love, or anything else. They said in a statement, attempting to demand or coerce these things via legal means or otherwise can constitute harassment. Uh, Singapore's high court will hear arguments on the matter this week. So... We'll follow that story. Let you know there's a follow-up to <laughs> that. Again, just seems like a Karen thing to do. And it does say his initial is K. I don't know what his uh, first name actually is, but anyway, uh, this is a an important uh, news story this morning. Um, police in one Kentucky town are passing along an advisory about a scam targeting coffee drinkers. So now this is in Georgetown, Kentucky, which is north of Lexington, but uh, I would imagine, you know, like anything, this probably is spreading all over the country. So be aware of this. Uh, Cops say a link is being circulated on the World Wide Web offering free coffee and donuts. And you're supposed to click on the link to claim your free coffee and donuts. But clicking on the link will release a virus <laughs> that that went on your computer whenever you type out something, it comes out all caps and you can't do anything about it. That's, that seems to be the extent of the virus, that it forces you to type in only all caps. So annoying, but not devastating. Still, you want to avoid it if you can. What I thought was funny in this, uh, in this story is the uh, the last line of the story. It says, Police say, don't be fooled. There is no such thing as free coffee or donuts. And I would think they would know. (laughs) 
right. If there's if there's no such thing as free donuts, they would be the first to know. That's it. <laughs> My apologies to all of the law enforcement. That was a cheap joke. I do. <laughs> Uh, a couple of other items here in the broken news, the odd and unusual side of the headlines. Now, this is just all kinds of wrong. A food vendor in Rockland County, New York, is now in damage control mode after sparking outrage with what it served to middle school students on the first day of Black History Month. Okay, so February 1st, first day of Black History Month, middle school students at Nyack Middle School were served chicken and waffles and watermelon for dessert. Come on! Really? Really? Is this, what is this, 1947 or something? I don't know. What is this? Uh, the principal of the school, David Johnson, says the menu was changed without the knowledge or approval of school officials. Originally... Philly cheesesteak was on the menu along with broccoli and fresh fruit. Now, I'm sure that the kids were not devastated that they didn't get their broccoli. But the uh, food options uh, reinforce negative stereotypes concerning the African-American community. In a statement by the principal, uh, the offerings, particularly on the first day of Black History Month, were inexcusably insensitive and reflected a lack of understanding of our district's vision to address racial bias and so on and so forth. School officials reached out to the food uh, food vendor, which is Aramark, and uh, they say they are working to ensure that the vendor offers options that align with our values and our longstanding commitment to diversity and inclusion. Uh, For their part, Aramark apologized for what they say was unintentional insensitivity. Uh Uh-huh. That's not a coincidence. You know what it is? That's not a coincidence. Somebody thought that would be funny. Not funny. Man. In 2023. (laughs) Talking about this. Crazy. And finally, the uh, broken news this morning... We've all had a negative customer service experience at one point or another, right? It happens to everyone. Um, but if that has ever happened to you, you can help improve the overall experience for all involved by just acting like a decent human being. Uh, 46-year-old Leonard Rep did not get that memo. Uh, he's from... Uh, Pennsylvania, uh, from Tilden Township, Pennsylvania, who became enraged because, according to him, he had to wait in line too long at the local Walmart. He became he reportedly became so enraged by the slow customer service, he decided to take matters into his own hands, grabbing some maple syrup, dish soap, jelly, motor oil, and bleach, and pouring them all over the floor. Sullying several aisles in the process. Uh, And police, who were called in to address the incident, say this was not the first time. Apparently, uh, or or not the only time, this was just the first time, Mr. Rep reportedly returned to Walmart a week later and proceeded to do the same thing with bleach, pickles, and hot sauce. 
Uh, Police finally caught him after identifying him from security tapes. Mr. Rep fessed up to making a mess because he didn't like waiting in long lines or dealing with bad customer service. Well, who does? But he also had the audacity to tell police he thought what he was doing was perfectly legal. (laughs) Sure. They're not gonna. They're not gonna be angry at all. They're not gonna want to press charges at all. Uh, even worse, and this is really bizarre. He said he was really mad at what happened at the Walmart store in Lehigh Valley, but decided to take his anger out on the Walmart store in Tilden instead. That wasn't even their store. It wasn't even the same store. Um. <laughs> Mr. Rep, the story story gets better, though. Uh, Mr. Rep was arrested and faces charges of criminal mischief, disorderly conduct, and they tacked on a charge of corruption of a minor because he was with a 13-year-old at the time of the first incident. (laughs) He's in all kinds of trouble. I mean, if he doesn't like the customer service at Walmart, just wait until he gets to the jail. There you go. Uh, That is today's Broken News Report. Uh, An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced it's halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser... You have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. This is rather interesting. Huge numbers of animals and plant species in the U.S. are at risk of extinction This is according to a new report from the conservation research group NatureServe. A report came out on Monday finds that 40% of animals are at risk, along with 34% of the plants in this country. Species uh, species ranging from the Venus flytraps to crayfish, crawfish uh, being in danger. The uh, report, which draws on a network of 1,000 scientists and five decades of data, is described as terrifying by NatureServe's president, Sean O'Brien. The publication also concluded that 41% of ecosystems are facing collapse amid threats that include habitat degradation and land uh, conversion, invasive species, damming and polluting of rivers, and climate change. What I thought was interesting in this report is that it wasn't just climate change and pollution that was being blamed. As a matter of fact, that's farther down on the list than things like humans invading uh, animals' native habitats. And that's been going on for decades. And basically what they're saying is that uh, we're going to pay the price eventually. And maybe sooner than we think. Uh, Texas, California, and the southeastern United States have the highest percentage of plants and animals at risk, according to this report. I just thought that was stunning. 34% of plants and as many as 40% of animals 
are at risk. Now, that doesn't mean that 40% of all animals should necessarily be placed on the endangered species list, but the point is quite startling. But you know, young people today get a bad rap. While it is true that there are those who are spoiled and entitled, you could say the same thing. I mean, honestly, you could say the same thing about any generation. And the reality is that there are far more that are doing great things. So enter the Shine Awards Foundation. The Shine Awards recognize exceptional young adults who are making an impact in their local communities. And joining us this morning is the co-founder and executive director of the Shine Awards Foundation, Orlana Darkins-Drury. Orlana, explain why the Shine Awards were created and what the primary mission is here. First of all, I love your opening because... That pretty much is our mission, is to celebrate the positive accomplishments of young adults to work and change the narrative. Because, yes, we feel like um, it's amplified more, uh, maybe the, the, the bad things that kids are doing sure. and not amplifying the good things. Um, so the Shine Awards was created, there's twofold. One, um, the media, as we all know, uh, doesn't portray a balanced representation of young people. Um, second, uh, we created the Shine Awards to change the narrative. So again, if something happens in your community, something you see on the news, most of the time we, our first thoughts are, it's probably a bunch of kids. And that should <laughs> right. not be the case. Right. Um, this is our... You know, so I loved your opening. That's that's pretty much the nexus of why <laughs> the Shine yeah. Awards was created to create a different narrative of our young people. And you know, when you really think about it, uh, you know, young people, you know, hear those stories in the news as well, and I would imagine it can be very discouraging when you when all you ever hear about people your age is you know, that you're slackers and that you're entitled and, you know, what rotten people you are, that doesn't really necessarily make you want to, you know, go out and, and make your community a better place. So again, highlighting those great things that young people are doing uh, has a, a beneficial effect, I think, there as well. Yes, it does. And so oftentimes the young people, not only the young people that we award, but the young people that are sitting in the audience mm -hmm. say to us that you see us. And that for us is so impactful because, oh my gosh, yes, we do. We do see the things that you are doing in your community, in your school, in your church. Yes, we do see you. And the other thing that they tell us is that it's so impactful for them as well to see others like them. Mm -hmm. be awarded yeah all in one spot so it's like oh my gosh i see myself being awarded and a lot of times it's um if you're if you're in the audience it becomes a goal right for exactly that person to be it, exactly it can be empowering in that hey i can do something that will make a tangible difference what are some of these past award winners doing can you give us some examples or ones that maybe stand out for you Yes, so uh, one is in our city. 
And we recently just realized who she was <laughs> last year. But um, she's now a news anchor in our city. We have um, another young woman who she wasn't an honoree. She was actually nominated, but she spent a lot of time with us volunteering. She's now a model for Wilhelmina modeling agency in California. Hmm. Wow. And then we've had people that worked in the White House and uh, are songwriters and musicians. So just to see uh, just the evolution of what these kids are doing has been great. Pretty wide uh, variety of uh, life paths that these young people are on. So how can the Shine Awards serve as a blueprint in encouraging people to not just to go out and, and make a difference, but just to make good decisions, become com- positive contributors to society in general? Yes. So the reason why we chose the ages 13 to 24 is statistically that is the age range where that decision is being made in young people's lives. Mm. Should I be a positive contributor <laughs> or should I not? Yeah. So um, and we just kind of touched on it. Um, the fact that there's an organization seeing them and allowing and providing a p- public platform to celebrate them um is the blueprint um whether they're in the audience or being awarded yeah it's uh being recognized who doesn't want to be applauded for their for the work adults love it absolutely. why not kids absolutely so uh with all of that in mind uh tell us about the the process here who can nominate a young person uh and, and what is the process for doing that yes yeah, so the process is super simple um Individuals just need to visit our website, which is the shineawards.org. We spell shine with a Y. Um, anyone can be nominated between the ages of 13 to 24. We have nine categories and anyone can nominate. So it could be a teacher, clergy, parent, sister, brother, friend. Um, even the student can nominate his or herself uh, for a shine award. Um, just really quickly, the categories are arts, academics, community service, entrepreneurship, service and ministry, science, overcoming obstacles, or youth group participation. That is a pretty wide-ranging group of categories. I'm, I'm hearing you say that, and I'm thinking there are there are an awful lot of uh, of young people who can find some sort of passion in at least one of those categories. So you really haven't left anyone out here. Sometimes it's really mind blowing when we see nominations come in and the student represents like two or three of them. We're like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so is there a deadline, uh, to nominate for the next round of shine awards and how complicated is that nomination process? Yes. So the deadline is Valentine's Day. So before you go out on your date, make sure you nominate a young person. Um, The form is super easy. Like it's under a minute. So all we're asking for is the name of the student, age, city, state, and the category. Um, And And then then we'll follow up like in a few weeks for you to tell us why. Then but you, for right now, we just need the nomination. Yeah, then, then you will do all of the uh, legwork. And then when are the Shine Awards handed out? 
It's always the first Sunday in August. So okay. this year will be Sunday, August 6th. And the Shine Awards has been dubbed as the Grammys for teens. So it's very glitzy. So the red carpet course, uh, red carpet ceremony, and they're interviewed on the red carpet, and there's photos, and just the whole production. They are literally stars for that day. As well they should be. I think it is awesome. We will link up on our webpage, uh, the uh, website that you mentioned, where folks can learn more about the Shine Awards, how to nominate a young person, and what all that involves. Again, uh, the co-founder and executive director of the Shine Awards Foundation, Orlana darkens Drury, with us uh, this morning. Orlana, thanks very much for taking the time, and here's to many more years of recognizing tremendous uh, work being done by uh, young people in this country who all too often don't get the recognition they deserve. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity to allow me to share. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Again, thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, how the local Habitat for Humanity Financial Opportunity Center is helping to ensure that no one is left behind in the digital revolution. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.